And that's what we love to do here at the bridge. We love to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, amen? It's all about Jesus. As the bridge, we wanna be God's bridge to all people, a span across the gap of where they are now to where God created them to be. We've worked hard at doing that this week into the community. It's been a great week for being a bridge in our community. On Tuesday, the bridge hosted the Miramar Pembroke Pines Chamber of Commerce breakfast. And we got to talk about the spiritual dimension of business success, telling business leaders and entrepreneurs how being a spiritual person can actually increase the success of their business. Yesterday, Stella and our Women's Ministry Advisory Council hosted a pink party here at the church in recognition of October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And they had over 300 women and vendors from different places in the cities here to, to meet together to remind people that, again, our spirit person isn't just for Sunday morning. It's a daily thing. And it was a huge success yesterday, from what I understand. People are talking about People saw it on Facebook and on the internet. And so again, that's what we want to be. We want to be a bridge to people, bridging them from where they are now to a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Last week, weekend, of course, Hurricane Matthew ravaged a lot of places in the world. And many of you have been calling the church and asking about how we're going to help, especially the people of Haiti. Well, at the end of the service today, we're going to take a special offering for Haiti. This is above our tithes and offerings. Your normal tithes and offerings, put those in the offering kiosk. But we're going to have an offering at the end of the service, and every penny of it will go towards helping people in Haiti rebuild their lives. And so if you're getting ready for your offering sometime during the service and you want to have a special offering for that, you can prepare that. We'll take that at the end of the service today. Well, we're going to continue a series today that we started a couple weeks ago entitled Jesus the Only Way. Is Jesus the Only Way? If you're a guest, understand that here at the bridge, we, we celebrate Jesus and, and, and we, we do a lot of different things, but one of the things we do is that we try to equip those who are part of our bridge family to be able to articulate their faith, to be able to give a reason for why we believe what we believe. In fact, in this day, postmodernism is the current philosophy of our culture and our time. And postmodernism declares that there's no absolute truth, there's no absolute standard, there's no absolute right or wrong. And pluralism is a part of postmodernism that therefore says no religion has the right to pronounce itself the true religion, and other religions false or even inferior to that religion. So when we're talking about Jesus being the only way, we are swimming upstream against a very strong current that says you have no right to proclaim that. You have no right to say that. So Peter, one of the original 12 disciples, as we've seen each week, in his New Testament manuscript called 1 Peter, in chapter 3, verse 13, he says that we should honor Christ as holy, honor Christ as Lord. And we ought to prepare ourselves to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that we have within us. Now, I want to make real clear that this series is not about, at the end, we as believers in Christ or Christians putting our hands on our hips and saying, see, you guys are all wrong and we're the right ones. That's not what this is about. This is about equipping us 
to be able to share with people. And we're going to learn how to do that during this series. Why we believe. Why we've put our eternal destiny into the hands of Jesus. Why we've trusted him with our eternal souls. And we want to be able to share with people why we believe that to be true. And so for us to do that, we've got to be absolutely convinced of that ourselves, right? And so why do we hold that kind of belief? That Jesus is the only way. That's what this series is about. Now, we've looked at postmodernism's response to Jesus and the idea that he's the only way. One first thing we looked at is the claim that Jesus never existed, that there was no historical person named Jesus, that outside of the Bible, there's no evidence that anyone named Jesus ever lived. Well, we, in fact, saw that there is a lot of extra-biblical, non-biblical resources and historical documents that talk about Jesus and as the Christ, as the Christos, as the Christes, Christes. Last week, we talked about the fact that their next challenge is that, well, yeah, there was some Jesus who lived, but Christians have mythologized Jesus. They've turned him into something much more than he ever claimed to be or anyone else ever claimed him to be. And so everything that you guys believe today about him and all the miracles, and all, that's all just a bunch of myth. And so last week, we debunked that. I don't have time, of course, to review everything that we talked about, but the series is available on CD or on our website. Now today, I want to go one step further into a more persuasive argument against the idea that Jesus is the only way. And that is that, okay, Jesus existed, and in fact, he was a great prophet. He was a great teacher, in fact, but he was only one prophet among many prophets. Today, it's not uncommon at all to hear expressions like this, you're into Jesus, I'm into Buddha. What really matters is that we believe in some form of God. That's what really matters, is that we choose one and we go with it. What's increasingly alarming is that within Christian communities, within Christian churches, increasingly we're hearing comments like this. I love Jesus as much as you do. I'm into Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. But I don't think that he's the only way to God. See, others will, will say that God would never limit the way to heaven to just one person. God would never do that. My God, the God who's loving, the God who's benevolent, the God who's generous, the God who's, who's forgiving, he, he would never limit it to one person's teaching. They would say, my God, the God that I believe in is much more inclusive than that. See, it's all part of this prevailing culture that we live in. But what I want to look at today is that, is Jesus just another prophet like all the other prophets? Well, I'm here to show you today why Jesus is unique to all the other religious leaders, all the other founders of what we know of world religions today, why Jesus is unique to them, why Jesus is so much different than them, and why, therefore, we hold Jesus in a different place than them. Are you ready to go? Now, I'm going to cover a lot of quotes, a lot of stuff today. You'll never be able to put it all down on paper. And so, once again, I have provided extensive notes with all the quotes that we're going to look at today. You can get them after the service today at the resource booths, okay? So, what breaks Jesus out? Well, first of all, Jesus is unique in his personal claims. In fact, Jesus claimed to be Yahweh, 
Who's Yahweh? Well, Yahweh, here written in the Hebrew form, is a name that God gave to himself. When Moses was talking to God at the burning bush and and God was going to send Moses back to Egypt to take the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, Moses was trying to talk his way out of it. He was doing everything he could to get out of that job. And in one place, he says to God, well, if I go, why are they going to believe me? If I go, who should I say sent me on this mission? And God says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God replies this. He said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. Yahweh, I am who I am. Now understand, this name Yahweh became such a holy name within Judaism and to the Jewish people that an Orthodox Jew would not even pronounce the name. When they would refer to Yahweh, they would just look up to the heavens. And they would get, you know what said about that? The scribes, those who transcribed the Torah and rewrote it into, into documents so it could be passed on to other synagogues and that. When they would come to the name Yahweh, they, they would stop writing. They would go wash their hands ceremoniously. They would take a new stylus, a brand new stylus that had ever been used, to write that most holy name, Yahweh, the name of God himself. And so it's no surprise then that the Jews picked up stones and wanted to stone Jesus, accusing him of blaspheming that most holy name, Yahweh, when Jesus said of himself, like it's recorded in John 8.58 in the New Testament, when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Before Abraham was born, Yahweh, I am. Jesus, as recorded in John 10, 30, says, I and the Father are one. In other words, Jesus declared to his own countrymen, I am that I am. I am Yahweh. The Father and I were the same person. Now, with that in mind, What do some of the other world religion founders say about themselves? Well, Houston Smith, who's an authority on Buddha, the life of Buddha, in a biography that he wrote about Buddha called The Religious Man, says this. Notwithstanding his own objectivity towards himself, there was constant pressure during his lifetime to turn him into a god. In other words, those who followed Buddha, they wanted to worship him as a god. He rebuffed all these categorically, Smith says, insisting that he was a human in every respect. He made no attempts to conceal his temptations and weaknesses, how difficult it had been to obtain enlightenment, how narrow the margin by which he had won through, and how fallible he still remained. Buddha never, ever even hinted at the fact that he might be divine, and in fact, he forbade people even though they wanted to worship him as a god from ever doing that. Muhammad himself said this, Muhammad is not but a messenger. Surely I am no more than a human apostle. Confucius, China, said, As to being divine sage or even a good man, far be it from me to make any such claim. Confucius said, I'm not even a good man, let alone God. Lao Te, the founder of Taoism, said, I alone appear empty, 
ignorant am I. Oh, so ignorant. I am dull. I alone am confused. I'm so confused. Hardly sounding like someone who might proclaim themselves to be divine and have divine knowledge. See, Jesus alone, among all the world religious leaders, ever claimed to be I am who I am, Yahweh, God himself. Jesus claimed to be Savior. Paul writes in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, why would Paul have the confidence to write something like that in his letter to the Romans? Because that's exactly what Jesus said about himself. Again, in John's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 7 and 9, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus is using the word sheep as a metaphor for human, humanity, for all humankind. He says, goes on to say, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And what does Jesus mean by saved? He means will have their sins forgiven. Will have the promise of eternal life with me. Later in John 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In other words, even though we'll die a human death, we will live on for eternity. And it is only through him. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, Buddha says this. You disciples do not affirm that the Lord Buddha reflects within himself, I bring salvation to every being. Sabhuti, entertain no such delusive thought. Because in reality, there are no living beings to whom Buddha can bring salvation. He says, Sabhuti, who's Sabhuti? Sabhuti was one of the ten other renowned figures within Buddhism. One of the great teachers of Buddhism. So he says directly to Sabuti, another one of the great leaders of this world religion. He says, don't you even suggest that I, Buddha, can bring salvation to anyone. I cannot bring salvation. In the Quran, salvation is earned. On the day of judgment, it is believed that Allah will judge every man and every woman on just balances that will be decided by how they've lived their life. If their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, then Allah may have mercy on them. In other words, the Quran teaches and Islam teaches that you are the author of your eternal destiny, the way you are living your life right now. And you will determine whether Allah will allow you an eternal paradise or whether Allah will condemn you to eternal hell. Athar Hussein, a contemporary of Muhammad, claims that Muhammad said this, and he's claiming that he's quoting Muhammad. Muhammad said, oh, people of Quarish, be prepared for the hereafter. I cannot save you from the punishment of God. O Bani Abdab Maha, I cannot protect you either. O Safiya, aunt of the prophet, I cannot be of help to you. O Fatima, daughter of Muhammad, even you I cannot save. So he says, people of Quarish, Quarish, and, and the people of Koresh were, were these highly respected and wealthy merchants that operated out of the city of Mecca, who were claimed to be descendants of Ishmael, 
Abraham's son with Hagar. And he says to this very elite people within Islam, he says, I cannot save you from the punishment of God. He says, oh, Bani Abdul Manaf. That's his great-grandfather, his great-great-grandfather. He says, I can't, I can't help you. To his aunt Sophia, he says, I, I, I can't be a mediator between you and Allah. To his youngest daughter, who he loved with all his heart and who cared for him to his dying day. He said, even Fatima, even you, I cannot save. Taoism, Lao Tse, Taoism believes that salvation isn't necessary because there's no eternal damnation. So why is there any need for salvation? According to his teaching, instead their goal in life is to live simply in harmony with the Tao. What's the Tao? The Tao is the order of the universe, nature. And if we just live in harmony with nature around us and with the order of the universe around us and not excessively pursue material wealth, stature, or prestige, it will lead to a joyful life. And Taoism is all about how we live now and the peace that we can obtain now and the joy that we can experience now. There is no provision for an afterlife. Sheikhism, Garu Nanak, says, I have become perplexed in my search. In the darkness, I find no way. Devoted to pride, I weep in sorrow. How shall deliverance be obtained? The, the founder of Sheikhism says, I, I have no idea how to win eternal life. See, only Jesus claimed to be Savior, unlike any other world leader. Jesus is unique in his personal actions. And wow, we could spend the rest of the day here, but we don't have time to, so just let me give you two. He was unique in his actions because he forgave sin with the authority that comes from God. One place that's recorded is, is, is in the book of, of Matthew, chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says he crossed over into his own country, and people brought before him a man on a bed who was a paralytic. And Jesus looked down and had compassion on the man, and he says this. He says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, there were a couple scribes, part of the religious elite in, in, in Israel, and they overheard him. And the scribes, again, are the ones who transcribed the Torah. And when they, they heard that, they were indignant. And they said to each other, this man is blaspheming. What do they mean? He's saying he can forgive sin. He's blaspheming God because only God can forgive sin. Now, this passage goes on to say, Jesus, knowing the evil that was in their heart, he speaks to them and he says, he says, all right, you guys, you tell me something. Which would be easier to do for me to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or for me to say, stand up, take up your bed and walk? Now, obviously, what's the, what's the obvious answer? It would be much easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? But he goes on to say, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And what happened? That paralytic got on his feet that he hadn't walked on. We don't know how long, if ever. Took up his bed, had the strength to carry his own bed, and he went home. And the result was that the people were fearful, and the people were amazed, and they glorified God that someone among them had authority to do such amazing things. So he had the authority 
to forgive. He, among all the other religious leaders, was the only one that all through his ministry would go around and say, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. He had the authority of God to forgive sin. He also welcomed prayer in his name. He allowed people to pray to him. Buddha never asked anybody to pray to Buddha. Muhammad never asked anybody to pray to him. Confucius never asked anybody to pray to him. But Jesus welcomed prayer in his name. One place in John 14, verses 13 through 14, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In other words, if you pray to the Father in my name, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Christ, whatever you pray for will be done. He's the only one who ever invited people to pray in his name. He's unique in his personal actions. Even more so, he is unique in his supernatural power. John, the Baptist, has been imprisoned by Herod. And he's got a death sentence on his head. You know that Herod ultimately beheads John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's ministry, from before he was born, his purpose for living was to, to make way, to pronounce the coming into the world of the Messiah that Israel had been waiting for for thousands of years. John's in prison now, and so John gets a hold of a couple of his disciples, as recorded in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. And John says, all right, I want you guys to go to Jesus, and I want you to ask him a question. The question that I want you to ask him is, are you really the one who is to come, or should we be looking for another person to come? Should we be looking for somebody else? John, see, he knows that his ministry is over. He knows that he's about to die. And so he wants to know whether Jesus is really the Messiah or whether they should be looking for somebody else to come on the scene. So the disciples go away and they ask Jesus the question. Now notice what Jesus responds. Notice what he says as proof that he is the one. Jesus responds, in Luke chapter 7, verse 23, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, he says, here's how you know that I really am the one that you pronounced is the Messiah. That blind people are seeing now. Deaf people are hearing now. People who couldn't walk are walking now. Dead people have come back to life. In other words, Jesus claims his supernatural power to perform miracles to John as the evidence that he truly is the Messiah, that he truly is the Son of God. Now, Jesus performed many miracles, as we are aware. But many secular historians, secular historians claim that he didn't do any miracles, that there's no evidence of that other than what the Bible says. But again... If you look to non-biblical historical documents, you see referrals to miracles by Jesus. For example, Ethelbert Stauffer in his, his book, Jesus and His Story, records around A.D. 95, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hacanus of Lydda speaks of Jesus' magical arts in his writing. This guy says, well, Jesus did these magical arts. In the Sanhedrin, the document of, of the Jewish elite, Around that same period, they find a ritual denunciation of Jesus. And here's the denunciation. Jesus practiced magic 
and led the people of Israel astray. That, that comes from within Judaism. They say, this guy, he did all this magic stuff, and people followed him because of the magic he had done, referring to the miracles. The emperor Julian the Apostate. How'd you like to go down in history with that name? Julian the Apostate, one of the Roman emperors. 300 years after Jesus' life now. He's writing about Jesus. He says, Jesus has now been celebrated about 300 years. Look what he says. Having done nothing in his lifetime worthy of fame. We've been talking about this guy for 300 years, and he hasn't done anything in his lifetime that's worthy of fame. He says, well, unless, he says, anyone thinks a very great work to heal lame and blind people and exercise demoniacs in the village of Bethsaida in Bethany. He says, unless you consider doing miracles something worth noting, See, even Julian the Apostate gives reference to the fact that Jesus did miracles. Now, now, people will say, yeah, but so did the other founders of world religions. They did miracles too. Did they? Well, for example, there's a legend that Buddha performed this miracle that by washing his hands over a ripe seed of a ripe mango, he caused a string, a tree to all of a sudden grow up and 50 hands high. Another one says that once he flew in the sky with fire and water streaming from various parts of his bodies. I don't know whether this was some kind of a primitive jetpack or a bad experience with Mexican food. I'm not quite sure. But again, when you compare these kind of claims to what Jesus did, there's no comparison. But in fact, look what Buddha said. Buddha said this, I forbid you, O Bikas, Bikas are Buddhist monks. So he's speaking to the religious class within Buddhism. He's speaking to the Buddhist monks. He says, I forbid you monks to employ any spells or supplications, for they are useless since the law of Kama governs all things. Look what he says. He who attempts to perform miracles has not understood the doctrine of the Tathaga. Now what's the Tathaga? Tathaga is a title that Buddha a claim to himself as the Tathaga at times. And so he's saying, you don't understand what I've been teaching. You don't understand the doctrine of Buddhism. You don't get it at all if you're looking for miracles and you are talking about miracles and you're wanting miracles to be performed. He says they have no part in Buddhism. Muhammad, the Quran doesn't claim that Muhammad performed any miracles. It doesn't talk about any but again, there are some legends that ascribe some miracles to him. Some of those include butter, a part of which Muhammad had eaten, uh, increased continually. Otherwise, the butter never ran out that he had used. Another one is that a tree moved from its place uh, of accord and shade at Muhammad. Whenever he slept, if he rolled over, the tree went here. If he went over here, the tree went over here. Another one is a wolf spoke and converted a Jew. But again, these are almost nonsensical. And in this case, these are nothing Muhammad did. These are allegedly things that were miraculous that happened around Muhammad. But in fact, the Quran says this, and when they say, Muhammad writing, and when they say, why are not signs miracles sent down to him, to Muhammad from his Lord? In other words, when people come and say, well, how come Muhammad doesn't do miracles? How come Muhammad doesn't have any signs? When people are questioning his authority, why doesn't Allah allow Muhammad to do these kind of things? And here's what Muhammad says. Here's how you should reply. He said, the signs are only with Allah, and I am only a plain warner. 
I'm just a guy walking the earth. I'm just a guy on a journey, just like you are. I am the miracles and all that. That's for Allah and not for me because I'm just a guy. That's basically what he says. Now, do, though, don't note this, that although that's what Muhammad said, on the other hand, the Quran does recognize Jesus' abilities to perform miracles. Did you know that? That Jesus is in the Quran? And in fact, that Islamic people are encouraged to read the teachings of Jesus? In the Quran, Table 5, 110, bears reference to Jesus' miracle. It speaks of Jesus healing the blind and the lepers and raising the dead. It does give credibility to Jesus' miracles. So Jesus is unique in his supernatural power. Jesus is unique in his death. Very unique from all the other world religious leaders. Luke 23, 33 says, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. This is just kind of the end, the fact that the part that we know that ultimately Jesus goes to the cross. But it's so much more than that. It's Jesus being betrayed in the garden with a kiss by one of his own 12 disciples. It's Jesus being taken before Caiaphas, the chief priest of Israel, where he he experienced the official rejection of him as Messiah by the nation of Israel, his own people. It's Jesus being interrogated by being beat throughout the night and having false witnesses come in and give false testimony about him. It's Jesus the next day being drugged before Pontius Pilate and, and being scourged and ultimately being crucified. See, these aren't things that just kind of happened to Jesus. These aren't circumstances that presented themselves in the life of Jesus because of what he had done. Listen, those were all evidences of his ministry itself. It was Jesus' ministry to come and die. That's what his birth, that's what his life, his teaching, and especially his death was all about. Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus was even born, as inspired by the Holy Spirit in his Old Testament manuscript that bears his name, says in Isaiah 53.3, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. See, Isaiah said, God told me, That the reason Messiah is going to come is not just to teach us how to be better people and to teach us some new religious system. He is coming to be crushed. He is coming to be tortured. He is coming to be wounded so that we can be healed. That was the purpose of his life. How did Buddha die? Well, it's recorded in the 80th year of his life. He became mortally ill after eating a meal of pork. Stay away from the pork. (laughs) Get the chicken. Confucius, little is known about his last days. We do know that he became a very frustrated man at the end of his life because his own people would not accept his views, his political views and ideas, and he died in 479 B.C. Muhammad, in 632 A.D., Muhammad became ill with violent headaches, took fever, and he ultimately died from unknown causes. 
although there's a Jewish rendition of the story, that said he was actually poisoned by a Jewish woman he had captured and enslaved. And she was one of his cooks and had poisoned his food. And over a period of three years had poisoned him and ultimately that's what caused this illness and ultimately that he died. But the fact is, he died. And there was nothing dramatic about his death. There was nothing dramatic about Buddha's death. They died natural deaths. We don't even know how Confucius died. But more important, the fact that Jesus was unique in his death. Jesus was unique in his resurrection. We know the story, Matthew 28, verse 1 through 6. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, they went to the tomb. They went to try to finish the, the official burial processes that needed to happen under, the, under Jewish law. And when they got there, there had been a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord had rolled the stone away, and it was sitting on top of the stone, and the guards, the Roman guards that were there to guard to make sure that nothing happened to the body, they became so frightened of the angel that they were like dead men. They were frozen their place. I love this picture. Don't you love this picture? The angel comes down and goes, rolls the stone away, sits on the stone, kind of probably crossing the feet and swinging the legs. The Roman soldiers are like scared to death. And these women come on this scene. And the angel says to them, he says, I know you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here, not because anybody took his body, but because he is what? Risen, as he said was going to happen. He said, go on in and look and see where his body used to be, but don't look for him because he's not there. He's alive. See, the other religious leaders remain in their graves. Buddha's body was cremated and the relics were placed in monuments, some of which are believed to survive until the present. For example, the Temple of the Tooth in Sri Lanka is the place where the right tooth of Buddha is kept at the present. In other words, what was suggested is that when Buddha died, he was dismembered and parts of his body were sent to all these different shrines, Buddha shrines. And his right tooth you can go to Sri Lanka and find. But the fact is, his body scattered all over the place. There's no possibility of resurrection there. Confucius was... Buried in his family tomb in Shandong. And he's buried now what has been come to known the cemetery of Confucius. The cemetery of where Confucius' body and his remains are still there. Muhammad is buried in the mosque of the prophet in Medina in Saudi Arabia. And you really can't even see his tomb because it's covered by a gold mesh and a black curtain. But in accordance with Islamic tradition, it's not ornate, it's not decorated. It's simply two cubits. It's about eight feet by eight feet by eight feet. Every year, people on their way to a pilgrimage in Mecca, they'll stop there in Medina to, to pay homage to where the remains of Mohammeds are to this day. No resurrection. See, only Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And mind you, there is no other claim in any other world religion that there was ever a resurrection by their founder, by their prophet. Only Jesus. And that's really important, by the way. Because if that's not true, then we're wasting our time here today. We should be out playing golf or having a picnic or doing whatever today. See, Paul admitted that. In his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 said, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, if Jesus didn't come back from the grave, if he's in some grave because his, his, his disciples stole his body and buried him someplace else, then we're wasting our time. But Paul goes on to say, 
Chapter 15, verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as one man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, every other founder of a world religion said, Do this, try this, strive for this. Only Jesus declared, it's done, it's finished. I paid the price, you don't have to worry anymore. It's been accomplished. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, a prophet among other prophets? Hardly. Jesus, the prophet among other prophets. There's nothing like him. No one else claimed to be like him. No one else did works like him. He was unique in his claims. He was unique in his actions. He was unique in his power. He was unique in his death. He's unique in his resurrection. Nobody else. So when people say, well, Jesus is just like the other world, no, he's not. There's no comparison, which gives us hope which gives us confidence that Jesus is the only way. Have you ever personalized that in your life? Romans 10.8 says, If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. We'll have forgiveness of our sin. We'll have eternal life. And it's a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that anyone will boast. So how do you get this forgiveness? By giving a lot of money to the bridge? No, nope, can't get it that way. By maybe being really active at the bridge. Sorry. By taking Pastor Pete out for a lot of nice dinners. No. It's only one way. And that is to agree with what Jesus said in John 14, 6, when he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. If you will humble yourself before Jesus Christ in your heart and with your mouth, say, Jesus, you are the way. You're the only way. And without you, I am helpless. Jesus, without you, I am hopeless. You are the only way God has given to humankind by which we can know we have eternal life. And if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You can do that right where you're sitting. You, you can confess that with your mouth. You can believe that with your heart. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things are right to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, if you've not done that, see me after the service. See any of, of the pastors. We're all wearing this blue shirt today. See one of the deacons in the black shirts, the bridge shirts. Just go to someone who's a bridge guide and in the teal shirts, wherever. Don't leave the campus in that condition. We'll get with you one-on-one, -on -one, show you how you can leave here knowing that Jesus is your Savior too. If this is all new to you and confusing, at least stop at our, our resource center. Or stop at, at the guest services booth and get one of these little blue books that says you can be sure. This little blue book will remind you everything that God has revealed in Scripture about how we can know 
our sins can be forgiven, and how we can have eternal life. Our praise team is about to come back, and we're going to praise the Lord again. But our ushers are also going to take their place right now. And we're going to collect that offering for Haiti. And every penny of this special offering. Do not put your tithes and offerings in this offering. Put your tithes and offerings in the offering kiosks like you normally do. Only put in this offering what you want to give to Haiti. Now, if you're going to make one check out for it all, then go ahead and make that in your offering. Designate other on your offering envelope and put Haiti. And then we'll do the calculating in the finance office and make sure that portion gets to them. If you're going to make a check out, make it out to the bridge. But every penny in this offering is going to go to relief to help our brothers and sisters in Haiti. So prepare your offerings. Again, if you don't have a chance to do that, get an offering envelope from the seat in front of you or at the offering kiosk, write Haiti on it, and we'll, we'll figure it all out. But as we come, our praise team's going to come and lead us in worship, and then we're going to, uh, at some point, they're going to have you stand and join. Come back next week, Jesus the only way. We're going to take on the question, well, don't all roads lead to heaven? Aren't all, can't you get there through any religion? I don't know, can you? Come back and we'll find out.